0: Hallelujah! Christ is risen. I speak of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Mother to us all. Amen. It feels like my life has been bogged by Les Miserables, the musical or Les Mis, as everyone referred to it when I was in my teens and 20s. It was a musical so big, so omnipresent, that it felt a bit like the soundtrack of my life, the stage set to my days. Everyone who went to New York wearing a Les Mis t-shirt, had face of urchin Cosette emblazoned across the front. The music was everywhere with every musical theater friend endlessly singing one song or another in the hallways of high school. Now, a shallow teen, but all the hype, the soaring, soppy music, that sad, urchin face, set me against a miz for decades. I wouldn't exactly call it a vendetta, but I refused every offer of tickets to see it, whether a Broadway touring company or a high school version. When the 2012 movie version came out with Anne Hathaway bedraggled as Fantine and Hugh Jackman ruggedly handsome as tortured Jean Valjean, I wanted no part of it. That's right, I have never, ever seen Les Mis, not on stage, not on screen, and I know that right now some of you think I'm a monster. <laughs> this antipathy to the musical, however, also kept me from reading the novel. my love of 19th century novels thick as doorstops with a million characters and complicated plots, But then a series of events caused me to overlook my antipathy to Les Mis, the musical, in order to read Les Miserables, the novel. And of course, it is wonderful. Now, there's a new film adaptation airing on PBS now. It's well worth watching. But even a six-part series can't quite do justice to a novel of well over a 1,000 pages, and my favorite part of the novel, frankly, the first 100 pages or so, receives, of necessity, very short treatment. Most of you know the story, but a brief sketch. The peasant Jean Valjean has spent 19 years in prison, five years because he stole bread for his starving sister and her children, and 14 more for all of his escape attempts. Kept in chains, forced to do back-breaking labor, demeaned and brutalized by guards, Jean Valjean leaves prison a different man, angry, embittered, brutal. He finds life outside prison little better as he lands in a small town where no one will give him a room to stay in or work to do as he is marked as a convicted felon. But that's not where the novel begins. Rather, the novel begins with a portrait of Monsieur Charles François Bienvenu Muriel, Bishop of Digne, commonly called Monsignor Bienvenu, Monsignor Welcome. Monsignor Bienvenu, a man of great holiness, gives all he has to the poor, cares for his people, places his whole trust and life in God. Bienvenu muses about the names of God in the Bible at one point, thinking about God being called Almighty, Creator, Wisdom, Truth, and so on. But then Bienvenue writes, Solomon names you Mercy, and of all your names, that is the most beautiful. And Mercy is the defining characteristic of this sweet bishop. He is the only one who will take in Jean Valjean the former convict. The bishop's servant is sure that they will be robbed in the night, but the bishop refuses to defend himself or his few possessions from Valjean, who, in his desperation and despite the kindness and hospitality of the bishop, does indeed steal all the silver cutlery. Valjean is caught and brought back to the bishop by the police with the sack of silver. Before the police can make an accusation or Valjean say a word, the bishop rushes over to Valjean, crying out, Ah, there you are. I'm glad to see you. But heavens, I gave you the candlesticks too, you know. They are made of silver like the rest, and you can get 200 francs for them easily. Why didn't you take them with the cutlery? The police, shocked, let Valjean go. Valjean, shocked, is speechless. The kindly, merciful bishop whispers to him, Don't forget, you promised me to use this silver to make an honest man of yourself. A promise, by the way, that Valjean has not made, but which the bishop makes for him. The bishop finishes, Jean Valjean, my brother, You no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I am buying for you. I am taking it away from black thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I am giving it to God. The bishop has given Jean Valjean back to himself. He has reminded him of his humanity. Of his status as a beloved child of God, he has returned him to the man he was before he was brutalized by a society that harasses the poor and dehumanizes prisoners. The bishop brought Valjean back to life, back to relationship, calling him my brother, showing him what mercy looks like. And though he does not become perfect, Valjean does turn his life over to the good. No matter how many setbacks he faces, he remains clear about his worth and of what the bishop has done for him, that he too must be a man of mercy, having received the goodness of Bishop Bienvenu. He has been brought to goodness. How are we brought back to ourselves? How are our souls healed? How do we remain faithful to the inner core of mercy and goodness and love for which we have been made in a society so often indifferent, even hostile to those qualities? How might someone ashamed of his past of what he has done, be redeemed and returned to goodness. How might someone pummeled by, shaped by society, one that disdains the poor and the weak and harshly punishes those who have fallen short, made mistakes, how can they, we, be made whole, healthy? Today's gospel is rich and tender. It's one of my favorites. And there are many ways to think about this passage. And just as I truly commend reading Les Miserables, or at least the first 100 pages for yourself, so I commend rereading the gospel and diving deeply into its riches, for there are many ways to read and interpret it, and I'd be happy to explore it with you over a cup of coffee. It's really my favorite passage. But what struck me this time while reading it and praying with it is that here, Jesus returns Peter to himself. Many argue that Jesus' question, Simon, son of John, do you love me, asked three times are a way to forgive Peter's triple denial of Jesus during his trial. But I've been convinced by others that this is about more than forgiveness. It's about redemption, it's about restoration. For in the Gospel of John, Peter does not so much deny Jesus as he has denied himself, his own identity. For it is in this Gospel that Peter is asked not, do you know this man, but aren't you one of his disciples? In the other Gospels, Peter denies Jesus saying, I do not know the man. Here, Peter denies himself, his identity as a follower of Jesus, as someone who loves and is loved by Jesus. For when he is asked, aren't you one of his disciples, Peter says three times, I am not. A kind of inverse of Jesus' great I am statements. In those dark pre-dawn hours huddled around a charcoal fire, Peter loses himself afraid of the coming persecution willing to deny the most important relationship of his life out of fear fear the violence he can see coming grief at the loss of the one he loves and peter is lost but then but then jesus returns peter to himself after his resurrection on the beach, pulling Peter back into relationship, reminding him who he is, calling him Simon, son of John, grounding him in his name and family, inviting him to declare his love over and over. Even though Jesus knows that Peter loves him, Peter complains, Lord, you know I love you. But it isn't Jesus who needs to know that Peter loves him. It's Peter who needs to know. It's Peter who needs to have that love scored on his heart. And each time Peter declares his love, Jesus gives him a job feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus is giving Peter his identity. You, Peter, you who denied your discipleship, denied that you loved me, denied your relationship with me, you are going to be in charge of feeding and tending love and mercy for my whole flock after I'm gone. Remember who you are. Be who you are. No longer fisherman, no longer Simon, no longer one who denies following me, but a shepherd. Peter, the rock on whom I build my church, the one who declares love for me. Jesus returns Peter to himself, not through intellectual agreement or argument. After all, Peter is the first to confess Jesus as the Messiah, but that knowledge wasn't enough to hold him down or to provide ballast in rough winds. No, it is this relationship, loving Jesus, being given this weighty task of love that tethers Peter to his own identity. And we know that ever after this, Peter was faithful to his call, to his identity in the Lord, faithful to caring for the flock of Jesus, walking all the way to his own cross and martyrdom, all for the love of Christ. How do we return to ourselves? We who get stretched out of shape, sometimes deformed by others' expectations and doubts, by a society with little love or patience for those foolish enough to follow, to love Jesus and his way of mercy. How we lose ourselves as we stray from all that has been given us by God, Our ability to love, our ability to forgive, our hearts that are meant for tenderness and mercy. It is only by allowing Jesus to lure us back, asking us again and again, do you love me? Do you love me? And only by answering, Lord, you know I love you. Only by that are we returned to ourselves, remembering that we are made in the image of God, made for love and forgiveness and mercy. We are returned to ourselves by returning to Jesus, and through his love and by loving him, we find that we might care for those he has given us. One another. All of us. All of us sheep all we lambs Jean Valjean becomes a man of mercy because a merciful man returned him to himself Peter becomes a shepherd loving the flock because the great shepherd the lover of souls returned him to himself We being le- loved learn to love shown mercy can become merciful forgiven we can forgive And then the great shepherd returns us to ourselves. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.